Okay, nice. And we are live. I don't want to do the whole typical introduction thing because, you know, you do it, you do it with every single guest. It just sounds, uh, just sounds too generic, doesn't it? But do you want to kind of tell all the guests who you are and what you do? And then, um, you know, I'll kind of give you my own viewpoint on who you are in a, you know, a glowing introduction. Wow. And so you have to follow me you're going to have to follow my, so if I'm, if I'm not up to par, then you're going to fill in the gaps. Sure. What if I exceed? (laughs) What if my, my introduction of myself is so good that you have nowhere to go. It's going to end up being shittier than what I have to say. Mine's going to be quite different. So then, okay. (laughs) In a positive light, in a positive light. Might be that you leave a bad taste in people's mouth after my (laughs) glowing review. (laughs) <laughs> let's see what you got uh, okay well you know there are infinite places to start but i suspect that you know me from uh either my coaching work or travel bum work or both and uh is it one of those or both of those it's uh the travel bum content on youtube my friends who introduced me to you about six seven years ago show me one of your videos and uh, to be honest, at the start, I was skeptical because I'm always skeptical of pickup eyes. The reason being, every time I, I think YouTube exposed a lot of pickup eyes where they wrote all these books, they got a big audience, and then once people watched their videos, they realized that they were attracting ugly women. I watched your video, and the first thing I realized was that, oh, this, it'll be like the other guys. First thing I realized is the women you were attracting were beautiful. And I was like, okay, this guy's legit. This is probably the first person I've seen doing this who is actually attracting, you know, beautiful women. So straight away I was drawn in and I was watching your videos and I started discussing it with multiple people. And um, when I'm telling people that you were coming on the podcast, everybody that I spoke to was like, oh yeah, I know that guy. I know that guy. I've watched his videos. I've watched his content. And it's funny because you're kind of like a pop culture reference. You're like a cult hero. Is that... um, you know, I, I honestly think you might have like one or two million ghost followers, like guys that actually have watched your content or secretly watch your content and just kind of stay in the shadows because maybe they don't want to be seen watching those type of videos, but they do know who you are. They follow you. You're kind of like an iconic figure in my generation. Like everybody I speak to is like, yeah, I'm not subscribed, but I watch all of his videos or I've watched his videos in the past. It's really, really interesting. So I think I managed successfully to uh, get you to do the intro. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that I was my that. whole. There's the first tip. Uh, oh, there's just the tip. Just the tip is in. <laughs> well, you know, I had a good time making those videos. There's no question. And, uh, you know, where did it start from uh, when I was very young? Uh, I think just because I was preoccupied with other people and what other people thought of me, um, the only way that I could feel some relief from that was to go and meet people and get the confirmation, the validation, you know, even though um, that validation came in the form, um, was kind of sensational. It was like entertainment not in the show itself, but just fun and sex and um, new people constantly. It was um, like, even though it had a good momentum, 
And I was able to not get attached because probably I was so schizophrenic, so transient in who I would get involved with. Um, not because of great skill, but just because of um, probably needing, probably feeling that no one single person's approval was enough, right? So although that translates into what looks like, oh, great abundance, great variety, and so on, it, it was a much deeper wound, I would say, a wound that nobody's approval was enough because you know, if you look at it deeper, which is the stuff that I like to get into now with the coaching, um, it came from not being seen and known by my father. So I never felt that um, I was enough for him. So some resourcefulness allowed me to just constantly use the world as my canvas to feel good enough, you know, and to some extent, and it's, it becomes a really interesting thing because on the one hand, we're hardwired and programmed into, um, into that evolutionarily. You know, we want to connect, we want to meet, we want to, to um, uh, reproduce. So that was part of it, right? That's in every man, you could say, I want to connect. But for me, just imagine and adding the feeling the fundamental feeling of inadequacy and just channeling that boom into like limitless <laughs> dates. So yeah. Okay. What, what, where is that good? And where is that bad? Well, what it does do is allows me as a helper and a coach to help guys who do feel like they want a partner or a companion or just sex to channel their own sense of insecurity or inadequacy into more connection. And, uh, but at the same time to be asking the real questions, like what is really going on for you? Are you just band-aiding things or are you working to create a, a real sense of self-sufficiency, a real sense of wholeness? Right. So, you know, which is, I like to put into three components, self-definition, that you know you have a sense of yourself and a sense of your identity, right? Whether that has to do specifically with your relationship to the world or just a general sense of what is Christmas? What is Andrewness? Well, Christmas is I get shit done, I take care of myself, I prioritize on this. I prioritize. So there's that sense, right? Self, sense of self definition. Then there's self agency, which is my capacity to impact the world, right? Or not even my capacity, but just my impact on the world and therefore the perceived sense of agency, of capability to affect, right? So that also helps. So there's those two components and they underlay the third thing or the, uh, the third thing underlays all of it, you could say. And it's kind of like a, a wheel, what comes first, can't really say, um, is self-esteem. So if you have self-definition, you have self-agency, then self-esteem um, can come, but even more fundamentally, it's so important that there is a fundamental sense of your own worth that is independent of your agency, your relationship to the world, and independent of your concept of yourself or your purpose, right? So that's a, a third thing. All those things need to be worked on in order that you can fucking be in the driver's seat and say, okay, 
this is uh, why I'm getting into a relationship. This is why I'm dating because I want to enjoy life. I want to share. I want to connect. I want to experience myself reflected back in the eyes of another person and vice versa. So if those things are going on, then it becomes a really different game than just the gross level acquisition, attainment of sex, of material value, and so on. You can enjoy those things, but where is it coming from? What is the engine? And so my work has been to clean up that engine for people so that everything that moves from them and everywhere they drive in that from that engine is uh, really relevant to their own, to themselves in a, in a real way, not in a imagined way and not in an instrumental way but in an inherent way and if you don't succeed you have everything you need to continue succeeding elsewhere you have everything you need because this is a terrible thing this effort and then healing from rejection effort and then healing from failure effort and then healing if we can fill in the gap right so that the troughs and the, the ruts and the divots are no longer, then it's just what you call life. You know, it has ups and downs, but you are whole. So that's been really important in the work and really important for me. So what have I had to do to arrive at that? Well, a lot of uh, inter in, in personal work and interpersonal work from, you know, 25 years of Zen uh, training and teaching to uh, psychotherapy work to embodiment work, to feel a physical sense of completeness. So not just uh, the idea of I am abundant or I am, you know, self-affirmation, but actually to feel in your body whole, good enough. And just think about the difference between that and feeling and, and what you go through when things don't work out your way, but you really have a wholeness. You know, you know what that's like from being drunk or on drugs, nothing can affect you. Mm. But of course, we don't know how to maintain that. So if we can maintain it without drugs and feel it fundamentally, then it changes um, everything. It's really interesting that you that said that, actually. It's really interesting mm. that you say that because the other day I was talking to my audience about how confidence isn't real. It's just what's the state that you're left in when you remove nervousness, anxiety, you know, your head voice, all these things that hold us back. And there's no actual quality of confidence. Like it cannot be obtained. It's not some esoteric trait that we're chasing after. And one day you become confident. It's like, it's just the natural state that you're in. Like you said, when you're Zen and all those other components are taken away and it's just the state that you're left in. Is that kind of what you promote? Yes, but the uh my concern for anybody would be okay well then therefore i don't need to do anything and in even the more extreme level it could be nihilism right if you mm -hmm. if you continue take it further and i'm not proposing that I, I, everything you said i fully agree i'm right there with you i would qualify or add uh, only so that people can understand that something replaces there is a replacement of the deficiency, okay? Even though in order to see that which replaces it, we, we need to see that 
everything that was additive that was causing me pain, like I'm not good enough, or I always am in my head, or whatever those things are, when, as you say, you get rid of them, you come to the, the original state. All right. So let's, let's call that your original essence, or your original innocence. Um, it isn't simply that when we get rid of the bad, there is good, but there is, but that is true. But the good is a thing, right? It is a thing in the sense that it's, we're unified, I now myself as pervasive, or I now experience myself as continuous, right? So now this starts to get a little bit deep. <laughs> um, if we're just eliminating eliminating the bad, then I, we're left with nothing, and we can't say that that's confident, right? Because nothing is searching for something else to fill in. But if the experience can be directly that there is a felt sense of completeness. And this is a very, very specific thing, and it's not something easy to communicate verbally. Um, but let's just say, for example, here's here's the analogy, right? If you have a room, and this I think, I mean, I've heard this a million times, but I was just listening to Eckhart Tolle do it uh, again. But if you have a room, right, and the room, and you ask the room, just suppose, you ask the room, well, what are you? You know, and the room looks around and says, well, I am this little incense holder. I am this lens thing. And it looks at the furniture and notes everything that is makes up the room, right? What's the thing that's missing from the realization, from the room's full self-realization of what it is. And also I can say that if I throw this out of the room, then is the room still the room? So again, what is the room's fundamental essence? Just in, in like in very simple terms, very like, you know, simple, understanding understandable way what is the room if it isn't all just these things or how can the room recognize itself what would it be recognizing can you can you guess what do you think what what the room is recognizing that is itself or what is the room you could say and what is the room recognizing that is itself the rooms identifying with the things that have been placed within it. That's what I would say is kind of self-identifying with because this is in the room. I become this. So like you can have an empty room and you could make it into a living room, a bedroom, you know, a bathroom It's it's up to the user what they turn it into, but the original state of the room, it's, you know, it's a blank canvas. Blank canvas. So again, I want to just do a little refining on blank it implies that the absence of, but what about the space? It's so full, everything that comes through it. Yeah, but even that, you know, that's true. Like, I don't want to take away from that. But imagine <laughs> you experience yourself as this vast space in which or as which anything that comes through it cannot hurt it. So here comes through you're, you're short and bald. 
this comes through or I have a boyfriend or I don't understand uh, what you're saying to me, right? It just comes through instead of, you know, the room grabbing onto it and saying, well, I have to wrestle with this and I have to find out um, how I can be more of what this is telling me I'm lacking in, right? But a room doesn't do that. A room is like this. Room is open. So it comes through and she says, why are you talking to me? Right. And then and you're like, I'm well, because I just wanted to say hello. And I just wanted you to notice me. And because I'm good enough and blah, 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 and validate, validate, validate. Or why are you talking to me? Saying, what is this really? What is this openness saying? It's like, I thought I'd find out who you are. I know, I know I'm an interesting person. Let me find out about who you are. So now suddenly this open openness allows for less reactivity and that less reactivity allows for an inquiry. Are you, miss, interesting to me? Not just, am I interesting to you, right? So the game really changes. And so we've talked about a few things. One is like talking about... Um, not getting attached, right? But what we talked about before that was the real mechanics of what you're calling potential or what I'm calling space or what what is really an experience, a direct experience. So this is what distinguishes what I have to share from what we might hear here and there about, oh, don't get outcome dependent, right? Or, you know, man over power her by nagging or showing her that, you know, this is still this positivity or this kind of um, impact of showing your value is, is directly in response to the concept that behind that, if I don't, I'm nothing. Right. So when we talk about nothing, when you and I talk about nothing, we're talking about a different nothing. We're talking about not the nothing that doesn't have and only has if it um, impacts or has an, an effect on somebody or gets something, but it's a nothing that's the true essence of the room, right? And this is a consciousness that needs to be cultivated by, like you said, getting rid of the things in the room that somehow, and this is really, now this becomes sort of an overview on the nature of human consciousness. For the last 50,000 to 100,000 years, the prefrontal cortex has made it so that we operate by way of foresight. And this is said to be because that in order to defend against larger predators, we had to think about the past and the future in abstract ways, right? Unlike other animals that are just a squirrel, sees a nut, knows because of its programming just needs to accumulate nuts but <laughs> humans what we did is we said oh shit we inter interceded uh, or we put into that a more abstract sense of fear the squirrel needs the, the 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 nut because biologically it's it knows that it needs to eat and that is a kind of fear it is a kind of mechanistic thing but for us it became very abstract so what if what if I don't have enough food when I next week, right? The squirrel's not doing it quite the same way. And because we said, what if, then we, this was an abstraction of time. I now need 
to make sure that I can put my ducks in a row and maybe even make sure that my neighbor doesn't get to the, um, and plan, we started to plan, doesn't get to the, the food source before me. So it became a very involving kind of planning that led to value as abstract. I need six toilets in order to be <laughs> of value or, or in order to take a shit. I need six houses, I need five cars. It, it departed from our inherent or intrinsic sense of worth and being. So this is the dance that's happening in the room, Chris. In the room, what's going on is because of this evolutionary projection foresight, the room, which is not really doing it, but there is this mechanism in the brain that seems to be doing it. It seems to be seeing lens. I need the lens. I need the, the cushion to lie on and sleep. I need the, the food I need, and I have to plan it. It's working in an orchestrated complex way to make sure that my identity as a room is being um, fulfilled and in control. Right. But the room, but it's not really doing that or doesn't really need to do that. This is a delusion that in order to be good, we need to orchestrate my identity in a specific way. And then when you say, like you said, deconstructing those false beliefs allows you to come back to your natural state of potentiality. Well, this is the fucking paradox. And if everybody can practice this or arrive at this, the following awareness, then just think about the abundance, the freedom, and the fearlessness, and the lack of shame, and the lack of anxiety that would arrive to you. So here, here it is. If Here's the paradox. If the room could just be the damn room, right, then spontaneously, the room, let's talk about now a person. I see pretty girl, I want to meet you. I'm not now working with this filter that says through memory again which is just the the play of foresight the play of projection the play of this consciousness let's call it abstract consciousness that developed 50,000 to 100,000 years ago developed this sense of um i need uh to, when i meet you hey i want to meet you what is she thinking? What am I bringing to the game? What is my memory of how it played out last time? And even though like other animals have that, you know, like the beta male uh, in the gorilla team um, knows when the, uh, the alpha is there, that if it tries, um, there's some sense of I'm not the one. It remembers that it's not va um, validated. Right. Although it may be happening in very quick relationship, if the alpha disappeared, it might try. I don't know enough about that science. But for us, the memory of our inadequacy is very complex, very involved. It's very uh, developed over way overdeveloped. So if we can underdevelop it or deconstruct it, then the level at which we can be spontaneous, creative, fearless, uh, and have impact on other people 
is so enormous, so enormous that everything, every guy who's listening to this and says, well, I can't be that guy because my mom, because I grew up in this culture and we were told that we couldn't do this or my dad was like this or um, I'm not tall enough or I don't have the job or whatever. All of that stuff is working continuously to uh, solidify a false identity. And it's because you've been doing it. We've been doing it for so long that it really seems real. But I promise you, and you see it, I see it in my students, that as they relax beneath these barnacles of self-perception, right? These limiting beliefs, this behavioral pattern, as you start to see it's not real, you have one baby step forwards that's that much more free, that much more spontaneous, that much more masculine, that much more powerful, that much more decisive, right? Then it starts to take shape. It starts to take shape and snowball. And bit by bit, it becomes, becomes the truth. You become seduced by the truth of your openness rather than seduced by the 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 memory of your limitation and it just transforms itself this is the true magic right it's that's the true magic that the automatic transformation that makes perfect sense as well because if, if you look at young men i have always promoted that men and women are on different timelines so a woman might get to 18 she already has really high social value just naturally whereas a man at 18 you know the things that men are valued on things like maybe being, you know, bigger framed, like you said, the alpha male, maybe having money, assets, et cetera, having their life together. As men, it's harder to achieve these things early on in life. It might take you 10 years to figure them out. So for the earliest 10, 15 years of a man's life, we're getting negative feedback throughout school, college, you know, being a young man, you know, you're being told you're not good enough. You're not rich enough. You're this, you're that. You're not, you're not the good looking football player. So you can see how those problems enter people's minds. And how did you, with so many pickup artists kind of, I don't want to tarnish you with that brush as well, because I think you're so much more, but so many pickup artists kind of, here's your script, say this, do this, fake this, do this. How did you manage to stumble across the natural approach? Like, how did you come to the conclusions? You know, you're a very deep guy. Like, how did you get to this stage? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I want to, before answering that, I just want to emphasize something you said. There is no education to become a man, Mm. not in any, um, you know, contemporary, conservative, systemic way at all. So everything that's going on is just building on essentially the negative, even even if, okay, I'm good at math. How can I strategize that? Oh, I'll do marketing. Okay, and this will help me to get higher up. It's all predicated on I don't have. <laughs> it's all pre- I'm building up on the basis that I don't have. So our original innocence, our spaciousness, our fundamental sense of being good enough, our fundamental sense of real agency and real power is because it's not there from the bottom, then all the building right that's going on top 
although it helps, right, just to get some shit done, you need fucking money to do whatever you need. It does help with the superficial level um, for some women, probably not the women that are going to make you happy or help you to, to share in happiness. It does help to go by in your, in your fucking Bentley, you know, whatever it is, because there are superficial things, but this, these moments of intensity do not supplant. They don't arrive at a more sustainable happiness, which will allow you to see for yourself what you really do want, right? We're caught up in elements that seem to hit the checklist on uh, what I think I need, what I want, but as far as having a, um, a, an ability to check in with yourself where you really know what nourishes you, right? That is so key. And when you have an ability to know what really nourishes you, then you can't be pushed. You can't be swayed by others because you know where you're going, right? And you do then have the confidence to talk to that girl and tell her, I like you. There's something about you because you know yourself, you know what you like for yourself and you know what you like in yourself. It's much easier to say, and to say, that's good. You're cool. Or tell me more about yourself. And she then sees that, okay, this is a man who's not asking for something for himself. He's inquiring. He's like a connoisseur, right? What is it about me that he likes? And he knows, and he's a man of choice. And she sees, she really sees in him that because he knows, I want to live up to his idea of what is of value. And so she now wants to contribute. She now wants to invest in you. And it all comes from this fundamental sense of value that has nothing to do with adding on, which is essentially what we get in the education system, an additive understanding of value but the additive understanding of value like we said is predicated or dependent on the fact that i fundamentally don't have value right that's why we're working but what about getting value fundamentally then the things you add really come from your heart and they build on your sense of original value and that allows you to become a real monster a real master of your own life and that is seen, that is seen spontaneously by women, by others, and it's felt by yourself. So I'll answer your, your question, which was, how did I uh, come to it? And, uh, and through the pickup arts, or uh, how did I transcend that? Well, if we look at and maybe this says something about all pickup artists. If you look at why I got into approaching, it, it really is, as we said before, not having a fundamental sense of value. And um, so I became a pickup artist and maybe all pickup artists are in, in so far as they're collecting objects, right? There's an objective understanding of I'm at A, I need to get B in order to feel unified or feel whole, right? Insofar as A needs B, it's always a sense coming from a sense of inadequacy. So I started very, very much from that. Um, and I didn't even know it, man. Uh, and a lot of it was just like 
seeing that if I press this button, I would get these results. And so I developed charisma as a, um, as a self-protective mechanism, right? Because my dad didn't see me. He didn't um, really see me, you know, he loves me, but really to be seen um, is like, it's to feel that he has the, he has experiences joy around my being. And because he has joy around his own being, then what happens is then you become a, a person who has self-esteem, which is feeling joy in just your being. That's what real self-esteem is. And a psychologist tells us that, that the self-esteem is the sense of self played on the backdrop of good feelings, not good ideas about how good you are, how you have value, but the actual good feeling. This is learned from uh, up, up to the first 20 months of growth, of, of, of infancy, right? So it's a real felt sense. It's not an egoic sense of I feel good about myself. It's a fundamental sense of feeling good enough. And if you don't have that, you, you can, as I did, try to become very resourceful, charismatic, manipulative, deceitful, duplicitous to get it, right? So that's what pickup was to me. It was just a fucking way to make sure that I could satisfy my sense of not being good enough, satisfy a sense of feeling good enough, just through this really fundamentally felt sense of good enough. And, and I'll just, because it's very interesting, I'll add that um, if you don't have the sense of self played off of uh, a, an experienced sense of good feelings, and you have the sense of self played on a background of bad feelings, then what you develop is pathological depression. You de develop a, a, an intuitive sense of depression. Now, the, the thing that I had, which was not good and not bad, which was ambivalent feelings, neither good nor bad feelings from my father, from my parent. And what that means is that you really just don't know who you are. And you'll do anything to get some sense of feeling better, some sense of feeling alive. So for me, women became an addiction that was just about maintaining my own sense of I have nothing to, to connect to. So it felt good, but I didn't really know what real good feeling was. So I just kept feeling good, <laughs> kept seducing, kept seducing just to, to fill that in, right? So uh, alongside that, what I was doing at the same time was just managing um, the levels of anxiety that, I, that uh, weren't managed um, unless I was getting laid, right? So even earlier than my ability to get laid, I started to feel like I just needed to manage the anxiety that really came from not feeling <clears throat> grounded or feeling like I had a sense of self. <laughs> I didn't have a sense of self. So what I had to do was meditate just to feel enough calming of the thoughts and the anxiety just to come down. Right. So it's really just lucky and weird that all these things came together, meaning 
okay, I needed to just manage maintenance, basic maintenance of my own anxiety levels in a physical sense, right? In a sense of my own body, mm-hmm. to sit down and breathe. I needed to do that. Then there was the other component, go get laid. That's the other way that I do that. And so those two things ultimately led to being able to help other men um, manage their uh, difficulty and fear of being alone, the the connection level with the anxiety level. So they they came to, they were always the same thing, Chris. It was always, I don't know who I am. I don't feel like I have a fundamental sense of value and I need to do something to fix that. So that was sitting, meditating. Then it was getting laid. Or, and then there was at the same time getting laid and meditating. <laughs> and then it was, okay, what is... Um, and ultimately, you, sh- you should be getting laid and meditating at the same time, which is real connection, rather than objectifying the other person and just feeling like they're giving me something or I'm masturbating on her or I'm yeah. trying to just get to orgasm, all of that, rather than an immersive experience. So then I got interested in other levels of immersion, which include embodiment. So it started with just Zen meditation, calming right? And quietening. And then it was embodiment, meaning that there was um, feeling the physical sense of completeness as the body, not just completeness of sense of identity, right? Or even a sense of completeness from not thinking, which is what I got from Zen. But then there was a felt sense. And this relates to what you were saying before, like, are we talking about getting rid of and what replaces it? So, there's a felt sense of physical completeness, which in and of itself changes the whole game. It changes the whole game of agency, of self-definition, of self-esteem. It changes that whole game. So there's the embodiment, the Zen, the pickup, all of these working together to try to make me feel better, feel value. Then the fourth thing is shadow work, which is not the same as the the first 20 months of not feeling value uh, in terms of feeling a sense of self played on the background of good feelings, right? Just a sense of love from your mother, love from your father, sense of delight, right? That they delight in your being and that they are actively expressing that. These are the things that my students and I lacked, that that the parent expressed actively a sense of delight in your being. And then the other component is that they're attuned to you, that they see and know you and that you feel seen and known. So few people that in my uh, world really can, once they scratch beneath the surface, really know that and feel that they had that, right? And some of them, so there's there's five things on the checkbox. One is reflected delight. Two is attunement. We just talked about those two. Then the first one, right? So you go turned the other way. The first one is safety. That's the first thing on the checkbox that needs to be there, that you actually felt in your early childhood safety from the threat of anger around the home, um, violence, and so on, that there was a fundamental sense of safety. And then the, the fourth thing is affect regulation. So that when you got angry, the parent would come and say, is everything okay? Well, what, what is it? 
can we fix this? It's okay to be anger, angry, but it's not okay to hit your sister. So your, your, your affects, your emotions were regulated. And that includes the parent's emotions. If the parent gets angry, can the parent say to you, it's just mommy's um, having a bad day. It has nothing to do with you. If that doesn't happen, then the kid uh, appropriates all of the responsibility, right? So th these things determine how we end up relating to other people. If these, the, these checkboxes are not checked, then at an unconscious level, our whole world of relationship is profoundly determined by the absence of those security points. And then the fifth thing on that list is development. So that the parents were actively and um, working on um, your development, right? That they weren't pushing aside your curiosities, that they were encouraging your curiosities and helping you with those curiosities. And um, what was I gonna say? Because, and, and, and these five components determine what is called healthy attachment or secure attachment. And it's funny because we talk about not wanting to get attached, right? The whole thing is, I don't want to get attached, right? I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to become dependent. But really, if you look at that, what we're saying is I don't want to be uh, greedy. And I don't want to be dependent on my, my greed or my successes. And I don't want to result in being abandoned. If I do apply effort to get to attain and I'm rejected, then I'm revisiting my feelings of abandonment, right? That happened because I didn't get attuned to, because I wasn't delighted in by my parents. So healthy attachment is actually essential to being not attached when you're when you grow up. We need to have a foundation of these five checkboxes to have healthy attachment in order to have the other component, which is called exploration or autonomy or independence. So that was what was found out in psychology some 50 years ago, that healthy attachment with the parents um, facilitates exploration and freedom. And those are the two elements that define security. Is this relationship transactional analysis and is it stroke value? Stroke? No, it's, it's the opposite. So oh, I thought it was stroke it's, value. It's, it's original innocence. I, I, I think that I'm hearing you. I mean, I'm just interpreting what you're saying. Strokes is like circumstantial situational highs mm. or, or validation. Is that, Right, that's what's from the are, parents. Right? I thought that's why I made the connection. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, now now we're dealing with with more than stroke. It's a good question. Um, see, when the parent delights in the joy of your being, in the joy of parenting, not just the job of parenting, right? Then the strokes are fundamental. They're not. Um, you know, superficial or um, sentimental uh, or token, right? It's really that you're being mirrored. Their joy is being reflected back into you and you learn to live 
you learn to become somebody. And if you look at the people that you know that you've come across who really do have secure attachment, these people in public are leaders and in private, right? And it doesn't mean, it's nothing to do with extroversion and introversion. These may be components that are at play, but when you see people who have harmonized these three elements of self-definition, I know what Andrewness is. I have self-agency. I know how to act out what Andrewness is and experience the impact in the world and feel my value, not as an idea, but as a reciprocal reality of experience. And then I have fundamental self-esteem because I had delight and attunement as an infant. I know what I am, not as an idea, but I experience my sense of self as fundamentally positive, okay? When these three are harmonized, then we go out into the world and there's no self-doubt. This is what a leader is. This is what the integrated man is. He gets shit done. He speaks to people. He sees somebody on the street that needs help. Can I help you with that? Let me get that for you. Oh, be careful. The bus is coming. Don't walk it on the street. There's no sense of, should I be the one who speaks up because that base was established at such an early age, their uh, agency in the world, right, is clean. Their presence in the world in public and in private is clean. And this is what so many men lack. They have not integrated, harmonized these three things. So this is the pre-verbal stage. And what I was doing, and I'm listing so many, I have so many categories here. <laughs> the five things that I ta tackled, right? So we have Zen, we have approaching, we have uh, physical completeness, right? Embodiment. Four, we have the developmental stuff, which is the pre-verbal stuff that we've just talked about that have those five checkboxes, um, affect regulation, development, uh, attunement, delight, and safety, right? Those fit into the fourth thing, which is, um, healthy attachment. Okay. So we have Zen, on this hand, <laughs> on this hand, we have the Zen, we have the pickup, we have the embodiment, we have the healthy attachment and the fifth thing. And they're not in no particular order. They're just things that I needed to learn for myself to fundamentally feel fundamental sense of value. The fifth one is the shadow work, which is what happens after the 20 months it happens usually between the ages of three to five years where we do now have a sense of relationship okay before the 20 months it's just it's not even i i i it's just um i am the mother the mother i am feed me i am where did you go where uh <clears throat> shit <laughs> you know i am just there is no me in relationship to you. My whole world is mummy feeding me. Mummy, where are you? Ah! Right? If mummy walks out of the room, my whole world is mummy. That's why secure attachment is so important because without it, then you can't have secure exploration. Right? So, but later on, between the ages of three to five, now we know ourselves. We know we we start to get a sense of myself in relationship there is i consciousness not just mummy 
consciousness or consciousness as mummy's presence or not presence. Um, and th this is where we, we learn something that um, maybe the most vicious or one of the most vicious emotions that we can learn. And it's a learned emotion, right? The joy that we felt when we were younger was not a learned emotion through relationship. It was um, fundamental, provided the parents were there just to reflect it back on us. Okay. It doesn't, doesn't evolve through like circum just one experience like this one that I'm talking about, the one that's a learned emotion, it's called shame. That is something that we learn in a specific way through interpersonal identification. There's me and there's you and you made me feel not good enough, right? And now I have shame around that, all right? That's different than the infant's more fundamental feeling of not feeling good enough, which results later on in depression, right? So not feeling good enough before 20 months results in depression, not feeling good enough interpersonally between the ages of three to five results in shame. I don't feel good enough. And that needs to be processed in a different way, right? Than the childhood stuff, the childhood stuff, the infancy stuff gets processed by going, by re finding, reparenting yourself, finding the delight and the attunement, okay, through certain practices that, you know, we won't go into right now. And then the, the conditioned stuff that happens later on needs to be processed through shadow work. And it's called shadow work because when we start to feel shame, are you still good? Are you still with me? Is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued. Okay. I'm really focused and listening. Yeah, it's you're because yeah. you're such a deep guy. I have to because I'm doing the kind of recording. I'm also I've also got the questions. I've got to think what comes next. But you know, so it's hard to do everything at once. And I'm just like 100 focused on what you're saying. And I'm just like, okay, I need to really focus because this is a deep, intelligent guy. I can't miss anything here because. I'm just going to look stupid in the conversation if I can't come back with something good. <laughs> you're, you're, this is great. I mean, this is, this is the, the very thing, what you just described that I've had to learn mm. what it really means to feel good enough, both at the pre-verbal level that there's just this sense of self that is good feeling and at the level of shame, which you just describe like what if i'm not following what happens will i be seen as not good enough so we're, you're what you're describing is perfectly related to what we're talking about and what i'll say to our audience is that listen to this four or five times yeah, i you would know, agree i was thinking that yeah you you've got to this is not like real growth because we don't learn in school how to become a man right or a woman we don't learn it it's not like we're out at sea, Chris, and we're lost and we're just looking for that lighthouse that's going to be like, oh, go there, right? The lighthouse gives us a certainty. It's much more like being lost at sea where it's misty and you're trying to get stable to the land, but it's misty. So you can't really see the land. So you keep kind of paddling, just trusting, you keep paddling, but then the fog moves, 
right? And you see the land a little bit, then the fog comes back in and you just got to keep paddling, listen to the recording again, do your practices until eventually you get to the land, right? And it, it doesn't happen, you know, with this, I need to get, and this is what pickup is. This is the failure of pickup. I see the lighthouse. It's called great ass and great tits. And now <laughs> I need to chase after the lighthouse, get to the lighthouse, walk up the stairs, cook a meal, fuck, whatever. And then I can't see the lighthouse anymore. Why? Because I'm inside of it. <laughs> I can't see the light anymore because I got laid. I, I unified. I felt unified. But now I don't know where to go from here. So I look out the window of the lighthouse to see where the light is. But of course, because I'm inside the lighthouse, I can't see it. But at the distance, I see another lighthouse, another hot girl. So off I go to chase after that. But the work that we need to do that, that I'm advocating is not about connecting the dots, whereby if you connect enough dots, you're going to finally feel that you have a map of um, these various lighthouses. No, then you're still just a tourist. I want to cultivate locals, real locals. And to be a local is to find the light inside yourself. And it does require a process of being in this dinghy, this little boat, and gradually through the mist paddling to a point where eventually you get to the, um, the shore and feel yourself on solid ground, not just swimming blindly from light to light to light to light. How, how old are you now? Ooh, the big secret. If you don't mind. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting less ashamed of saying this partially because my beard is gray and I feel like people will benefit People can benefit from an older guy. It's okay. You know, um, I'm 44. But the, the thing that I've been playing with is the same immaturity for 30 years. It's the same immaturity, man, that caused me to seek out all these pieces, right? Because, you know, there are men who grow up much, much younger than me, who aren't 44 and still putting it together. But because I've worked so hard to put it together, I now have something to teach and offer. Mm. Most people don't put it together. That's the real problem. But there are people who don't put it together because they don't need to put it together because they had secure attachment, because they didn't use sex to validate themselves or accomplishment to validate themselves they don't have to put it together so my dysfunction is my gift um but yeah for me there is and has been a sense of shame or inadequacy around the fact that i'm so i'm older and why am i still working through this this stuff well i would like to say that working through it allows has allowed me to master and I, that was my path. I needed to find mastery because I didn't have the upbringing that uh, would allow me to stabilize without attainment, pussy, only through 
abundance and uh, all these things. So, so that's, that completes the five uh, elements. When you work with shame, uh, you're working with a learned emotion. And what you're working with is uh, a message that you were given around this age of three to five or so that the message is there's something that you care about that's important to you. Right. And that is myself, but, but you give it up, you give it away. You disown this, this sense that I am good enough. You disown it in order to satisfy the parent who's telling you you're not good enough. Hey, your sister is the one who's getting the dessert. You're not getting dessert because you did this and you did that and whatever. And you're not playing nice with the other kids. So you develop a sense, you take on this message that, that is you're not good enough. You take it on in order to survive, right? Because your survival is dependent on this person that you care about, this parent that you care about so much, so much that in order to survive, you need to believe them. You need to believe unconsciously that I'm not as good as my sister or I'm not good enough. So you take on that message until the time where you're ready to process this and reclaim the disowned part of yourself, right? That was, I'm good enough, but you disowned it to believe I'm not good enough. You develop this pattern of shame. And here's the neat thing about shame. The shame you felt when you were young is the same as the shame you feel now. It's the same exact emotional tone. I'm not good enough. And the fact that it has the form, right, or has the context, a different context now when she says, uh, why are you talking to me, the hot girl, right? It's the same. The context is different, but the shame is the same because it's a learned emotion that uh, imprinted on you so strong because in order to survive, you needed to take on this message that I am not good enough just in order to satisfy the parent on whom your life depended. Literally, they feed you. That's all you know. They feed you. They house you. When, uh, when you whack a dog when the dog is a puppy it comes to be that dog you came to be an insecure child a shamed insecure child because you took on that uh message so we have modalities that um reverse this shame reverse this i'm not good enough through processing the disowned part of yourself uh, what so part are to... the five pieces. sorry go on yeah those are the five pieces that I espouse in, in the trainings. I, I, I like, it. I like the approach. I really like that natural approach. It really, it resonates with me. A lot of the stuff you're saying, I can kind of relate to, to my own childhood and certain experiences that I went through and certain things that stick with you for quite a while. Um, from the other side of the coin, what kind of part do women have to play in this? Are, are they changing the game, you know, in an Instagram era where, you know, a woman previously might have had hundred years ago, she might've had a hundred men chasing her. And now she has 58,000 followers. Have women's egos gone through the roof or should it not matter? Should we be so, you know, should we be so relaxed and have that self-belief in ourselves that it shouldn't matter what state the women are in or how they're coming at us from? Yeah, it's a great question. 
Well, the extent that her um, value, her perceived value that's perceived by you has an impact on you is directly proportional to your own perceived sense of value. So although I can answer that and I will try my best to navigate that, like what do we do in society right now and how do we navigate it? You can already see that the game is rigged, right? If I don't have, if I don't have a fundamental sense of value, I'm immediately going to see the girl who has X millions of followers as um, having some, some leverage over me. I'm immediately going to interpret my whole world, my whole uh, construct of value in relation to the image that she has publicly insofar as I know that I don't have a sense, a strong sense of image, right? A strong sense of self-definition or self-agency and self-esteem. Again, the game is rigged. It's, it's they're constantly playing on each other. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Anything, every time I look at her, I'm looking at what I don't have, right? It's, it's automatically playing out like that over and over again. So how do we navigate that? Well, there's nothing wrong with a beautiful woman, A. There's nothing wrong with a beautiful woman that has millions of followers. And there's certainly something great if that woman has millions of followers because she does espouse values that you, you yourself value, right? Fundamentally, which is different than valuing them um, superficially or because they relate to some level of narcissism, right? Which is just your sense of good feeling that comes from image rather than from fundamental value or original essence or original innocence or the pre-verbal felt sense of goodness or um, the sense of agency and so on that comes from interacting in the world in positive way through positive affirmation, positive reciprocity that corresponds to your sense of wholeness, not your sense of accumulative value through image. These are distinctions that we really need to make along the way. So then when you meet a a beautiful woman or see a beautiful woman online who has something great, then suddenly you have the ability to say, hey, I really like um, your um, whatever it is, your... something that's not just hotness, not just acting. I really like the way that you've inspired young girls to take care of their, their eating disorders or something like that. Right. You know, I I myself um, have uh, had to go through, um, you know, certain rites of passage or I've been on a, like a self-development that no, 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 really understands the difference between, um, you know, a real sense of value and a false sense of value. And I don't know, I really connect with that. I don't know. I, I'm not proposing that that's the, no, the one and only yeah. uh, cold, cold approach, you know, and to say that, like, and if this is one question, what do you do with a hot girl who's on Instagram or on any social media where your only resource is to send some fucking message into the ether Uh, along with a hundred million other guys who are doing the exact same thing. Well, for starters, it's just damn hard. And if that's your only reference point, right? Because Mm -hmm. how do you distinguish yourself? Every other guy is doing the same thing. 
um, if that's your only reference point for feeling reciprocity, for feeling agency in your social world, then it's a guaranteed way of, 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 uh, of deletion, of, of, of deleterious, how do you say it, of, of making you smaller. Because that's where you're putting your chips. You're putting your chips into a place where the odds are so, so small that just by, um, uh, what's it called, habit, by pathology, you're going to have a small sense of yourself because the, the rewards are so small every time you put the chips down. So it's not that you can't play in that world, but you need to find a way. <laughs> you need to find a real way to have um, other checkpoints, other ground points where you do have re reciprocated feelings of value, right? Where you can act on it. And then, you know, then there are ways you can take, you can, you know, take my class and learn how to do a great texting class. Uh, you can perfect on that. You can learn how to do video messaging. You can um, learn how to improve your photos. You can learn. How, there is a world, there is a relative world where social media um, does play a role, even, even if it's somebody that you just met for real, met her on the street, or you met her in, a, in your salsa class, right? She's still going to check up on your social media. She wants to see if you're going to be a liability to her and her friend group, or if, you know, your, your sense of fashion is so bad that she, um, she's not going to feel like if she takes you into her social group or her favorite restaurant, but she's not, she's going to feel that um, uh, self-conscious around that. You, she wants to feel that you can speak a language of social value. So there are things to work on uh, that are in the world of, of relative, in the world of material, in the world of cognitive um, contact, meaning texting improvement, communication skills, uh, how to speak, how to message and, and all the rest but that they need to be supported by positive uh, sense of self that is not merely or purely contingent on transactional, remote transactional interaction in social media. Following on from that, there's a kind of a, a repeating kind of thought pattern out there where a lot of people say that westernized women are gone they're lost you know they expect too much where some woman i, I hate using the one to ten scale but it's so easy to comprehend and a woman might be a two out of ten but she wants superman to kind of knock on her door and sweep her off her feet and a lot of guys are kind of looking to other places around the world where maybe the economy is not so great. Maybe the women expect a little bit less, you know, places like Eastern Europe, especially um, places like Venezuela, Colombia, you know, a lot of guys are looking at places like this and seeing that the women, the women are 10 times more beautiful, but then their attitude towards the men is less demanding. Do you think that's something that guys should try and do? Or do, again, does it not matter? Does it come down to you? Okay, so the, their attitudes towards men is not less demanding. It's just demanding in a different way. Mm. So, you know, in some ways it's more demanding because you can't put in, in the Western culture, these are, these are paradigms or um, generalizations. Um, there's the idea that you can put a lot into it at the level of common interests, the level of humor, 
the level of shared uh, values, shared interests, shared dreams. Oh my God, you also like that? Oh my God, I like that too. Or we really connect on, on the same sense of humor, our favorite pastimes, whatever it is. We're looking for our soulmate, right? That's the, the American dream. That's the Western paradigm, okay? So you can put into that. In, in the East, if you just, in Eastern Europe, if we just use these generalizations, then if person's not responding to that because they're responding to other things, which we'll, we'll look at, then um, you are paralyzed. And that you do, it does depend on a lot of things. What did, how did you put it? That what you have to offer is not the variable or something like that? You don't, it's not a big deal what you're bringing to the game. Is that, you sort of put it in, in that way? So much, yeah, along those lines that they they'll be happier with less. So they don't expect a six foot okay. four millionaire with muscles so, and so on. Whoa, 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 whoa. It depends who, but I, so what I'm saying is that they're not expecting the soulmate, the common ground of interest, which is let's call it human connection or communication um, common ground. Okay. The, oh my God, tell me more. Like sitting and having like that conversation on that first date um, where she really feels that, oh my God, he's my kind of personality. He's my kind of guy. That gets like by uh, overstepped or, or uh, bypassed because they're looking for other real things in this uh, strongly traditional culture, right? In the Eastern in Eastern Europe, they're looking for sexual polarity that is comprised of. Um, different brushstrokes, but they're very involved. They may, they may not be involved at the personality level of this common ground of soulmate, but they are in some ways more demanding or can be more demanding. Meaning when you go on a date with her, she's really asking whether she's really looking for somebody to provide for her or not. She's asking, can he take care of me? And it doesn't mean that she's a gold digger. It means that in a culture where they really developed dismissive avoidant attachment style, which is they want, they want to not just jump on board and find out who you are because the, um, the conditions were so compromising survival. It was cold. There's no, you, you can't go out and just make it on your own and build up your own way and have a strong sense of autonomy or self-definition through social economic um, self-identification identity, right? They do have a strong sense of self-definition in terms of their ability to take care of themselves, their ability to survive. It is very real, but it's different brushstroke, right? So when they, um, if you can come across as a person who's a man, meaning what is a real man? A man is a man who can take care of himself and take care of his family. If you're on a date with a Western girl, or New York, and there's all these girls walking by, and uh, a hot girl walks by, and you, she catch you catch uh, she catches your attention. Then the girl you're on the date with might, because of her sense of wanting to be an autonomous and independent woman in the way that a man tries to be, she wants to get your attention. She wants to prove herself to you. She might develop jealousy or try to. Um, win your attention, okay, on this date. 
just unconsciously even, not even actively, but just she'll see you as a fuckboy, as a player, and she'll be like, I want to be liked by the guy who's of value to other women. Now, this is the same thing in Eastern Europe, but in a different way. That only happens if she directly experiences many women liking you, not just your attention um, going somewhere else. In, in the West, your attention going somewhere else is a reason for the girl to say, notice me, because I'm the independent. I want to be um, autonomous and of value in a culture, in a competitive culture, in a capitalist competitive culture. But in Eastern Europe, if you're looking around, she's going to be like, you're not noticing me. You're not safe for me. You're not, you can't offer protection to me, right? Mm-hmm. Even if that's unconscious. If she then experiences many women liking you, then she, she unconsciously knows that many women see you as a safe provider, as secure. Then she'll like you, right? For reasons that aren't related to your uh, attention on her. But on that date where she doesn't know anything about you, you want to give her full and complete attention. That doesn't mean that you um, disown yourself, but it means that you're showing her that you're not affected by what's happening, that you know who you are, that you're confident, right? So this is where you get the, and then it goes too far though, Chris. It gets into a place where women just come, Eastern European women come to like the man who's just the silent gorilla, okay? (laughs) He doesn't speak very much, but he is engendering a sense of confidence and strength by the fact that he doesn't need to speak like the Western guy who's like, okay, so tell me more about you. And and they talk too much. And that Eastern European woman gets nervous and anxious because she sees that he's not secure, that he's not grounded, okay? So you have now the absence of the integrated man, the absence of the man who can really communicate well, give the Eastern European woman what she's looking for, okay, which is a man who can really um, listen and talk and be more than the gorilla. Because although she values the gorilla, the silent gorilla, who he's just confident and knows who he is without needing to prove it, okay, she also feels a gap, a hole in the fact that that silent gorilla is actually insecure because he doesn't, he won't share about himself. He is afraid of rejection. His pride is so much on the line that he won't speak up or he won't offer anything about himself or um, is just saving face all the time, right? This girl wants the Western man, but she doesn't want the western man who's just so insecure that he needs to talk in order to make sure that he doesn't lose her attention okay and on the other side the western woman she wants that guy who talks and who can communicate and have a shared sense of uh a value of interest common ground soulmate so on right he's in touch with himself even his feminine side but he's not so uh disowning self-disowning that he can't just shut the fuck up and feel that he's good enough. Um, So the integrated man has both sides, man. That's what I'm trying to teach guys. That's what we're working on is. And so we do that by understanding social differences, social norms, 
uh, understanding different cultures, right? So that's happening on the top and we're working on the bottom at the five fundamental layers that allow you to have the freedom, confidence to be able to explore yourself as the communicating man and as the man who is already whole and complete and doesn't need to talk too much. I don't know if that answers your question. That does answer the question. And following on from that, with kind of silence and, and uh, communication being so important, which are both forms of varied body language, how important is body language? Yeah, cool. Well, I, I like, I really, important. But if you're looking at it from the outside, what did I do, what did I do? Now you have disembodied language. You have a language in your head that's telling you what you should and shouldn't do from a disembodied place, from thoughts mm. place, right? So now you're not in the body, you're in the thoughts. So what I like to do, what I like to say is that the, the inside informs the outside. And this is why it's so important. And even you, I, I'm going to share this, your body language has changed so much just in the way that you, your shoulders are carried, that your tension changes as you allow yourself to let go and, and, and soften. And the more that people practice that, the more it becomes muscle memory. Or rather, what I should say is the more that um, we are uh, settled, the more that our actions and our behavior, it's like they're karmically deterministic. So you become the relaxed person, you say more of the relaxed things that inspires more relaxation in her. And she then feels more relaxed with you. And then the next thing that you say, um, okay, so now she feels good. Now you feel good because she feels good. And now the next thing you say is, um, uh, what do you call it? Progresses from there, or maybe it physically escalates from there because you've laid a base by starting from yourself, a base of feeling good enough, feeling really fundamentally good, feeling, feeling internally body language, right? Feeling the internal engine uh, of relaxation, feeling internally relaxed, and therefore your your mannerisms, your body is internal is externally relaxed, and okay, we can just talk about that, but let's add and 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 continue with this amazing idea of how it snowballs karmically, right? Karmically, what that means is cause and effect. The cause is your internal settledness. The effect is that she sees it, okay? Not on, and it's not coming from the outside. It's coming from your inside. It's just symptomatic that your body language on the outside is relaxed because of what's happening on the inside. And then she feels good with you. You feel good with her feeling good with you. And then, and then a smile happens. Then she feels even better. And then you put your hand on her back and she feels, even, but you're allow, you're allowing yourself to do this because she's allowing you to do it because she's feeling good with you because you allowed yourself from the very beginning to feel good in yourself. So it's important to be thinking from the inside out, right there. Mm. And 
but for guys who want to do understand it from a very practical side, it's okay to emulate uh, or simulate behaviors that are um, confident externally, right? Like being upright, having your chest open, having your, your chin sufficiently up, making strong eye contact. These outer behaviors also inform the inner, okay? But if you're just forcing yourself to do it from thought, okay, from a disembodied place, thinking, thinking to do that, then you're going to be at war with yourself, constantly saying, am I doing it enough? And you're going to get outside of your body. You're going to get outside of um, the body language relaxation. You're going to get outside of the inside, which is itself the relaxation. And from the outside, it just becomes like a reverb, like bringing a microphone up to a loudspeaker. Am I, am I doing this right? No. Now I'm more self-conscious about whether I'm being self-conscious. And then I'm, then I'm more self-conscious about whether I'm still act, uh, appearing self-conscious. And it just goes like an endless um, reverb. So you need to cut that off. And the way to cut that off is to break the, um, the disembodied awareness, the outside awareness of what's happening on the inside or the appearance breaking from the appearance sense to the internal sense, and it will just transform it automatically. It's like putting tequila in your body. Am I being, my, am I being natural? I'm looking, am I being natural? Uh, am, I, am I being natural? Obviously you can't be natural because you're so busy thinking about whether you're being natural. Then you shoot the heroin and it's like, natural. is an infant being natural or is an infant just, Ah, it doesn't take on these ideas. So if we find the heroin on the inside, then it transforms itself um, automatically and, and authentically. That makes That's sense. Important, the authentic transformation. I'm noticing everything that you kind of do, it always reverts back to the natural, to the authentic, to the kind of original state. Like you're saying body language is good, but you know, you kind of have to make it a part of who you are rather than something that you're thinking about too much. Everything that you're saying is kind of going down that route. It's, it's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but t- take a, take a fine comb to it. It's not that I'm saying it's bad to, uh, to simulate good body language or more confident body language. What I'm saying is that you need to use the felt sense of what it's like to be, to feel confidence when you are simulating that confidence, when you're practicing or not crossing your hands or not looking away or not moving your hips to the side, uh, which is a sign of not being willing to direct yourself uh, squarely to the other person. If you're um, practicing squaring your hips up to her, then it's not just good enough to just be doing that and hoping that I'm going to have an impact on her because I'm doing the right thing. In order for you to really become confident, you need to get a sense of what is happening inside your body when you do have an open chest and then it's like it builds a feeling of 
op- a vulnerability that is uh, safe. Because if you can feel vulnerable but safe, then what is it? You're open. You're available. You're spontaneous. You're not defensive, right? But if you're um, just open uh, and feeling vulnerable, then you're going to be – and you're not learning you're not moving through, uh, you're not developing a real sense of vulnerability as your power, right? As your potential to, to understand and listen to other people and understand and listen to what's going on for you and your own anxiety, your own fears, then what it ends up doing is nothing. You don't actually experience um, the growth from the confidence. You don't actually become confident. It, it's just a simulation. So you, it's okay to be working on the outside, but that outside needs to be dialoguing with the inside. And as the dialogue happens, the inside karmically again, or causally, if that's a, 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 an easier word um, for our less spiritual audience, <laughs> the inside starts to give more valid proof, permission to the outside to be even more confident because you fucking know who you are. The reverb stops happening. Mm-hmm. Is it like a positive feedback loop? Yeah, it's a positive feedback loop. And you are the whole loop. That, and, then mm-hmm. it, and then it stops looping mm-hmm. altogether because the whole loop is you. Right, <laughs> right now, it feels like there's me and there's what she thinks of me and I'll feel good if uh, she, she gives the positive feedback. But at some point you take yourself so seriously that I feel my own fear. I feel my own suffering. Right. And then when she rejects me or judges me and says, you're weird. What I'm doing is what I'm able to do is see that she's actually afraid she's actually judging me because she's not in touch with her own self. So my capacity to be in touch with myself allows me to see everyone as the same human um, struggle, the same human suffering, and not to react, not to close, not to protect. So the loop, the whole loop becomes me. My feeling of need for love her feeling of need for security or power or control, uh, right? It's also me because I understand my need for security, power, and control. I can see it happening in her. And when I see it happening in her, now spontaneously and suddenly, the whole loop is just the longing for acceptance. The whole loop, her behavior, my behavior, and then it breaks, it, it, it deconstructs, and there's no separation. There's no me trying to get validation. The whole system is just love trying to love itself, love trying to love. And if she's afraid or scared, then you can be there for her. You can say, I don't mean to bother you. Carry on. You get it. You're not reaching, trying to fix her. Or if she's um, afraid, but a little bit curious, you can have a, a reframe. I know this is unusual, but uh, you know, I just thought I'd say hello. I'm not crazy, right? Whatever it is. So now she gets, you know, how to attune to her uh, reactivity because you know it in yourself. Or let's say the third level. So we have, she's too afraid. That's, that's all right. You can have a great day. 
oh, take care. I didn't mean to bother you, right? With no attachment. The second level is, oh, I understand, but, but let's just slow down. You know, I see you're in a hurry, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm in a hurry too. Let's go be in a hurry together. Or let me get to know <laughs> you or uh, whatever it is. You're, you're calibrating, but calibration is, when we're talking about calibration, which is a common pickup thing, we're going much deeper. We're getting into what's called relational attunement. Okay, attuning to her at a really much more deep level that's not calibration intellectual. So then the third thing is, oh, I see you. She's curious, but still reluctant. And then it's like, you're being silly. It's just your, it's just your, uh, your bright yellow shirt that's making you overthink today, miss. Or it's just your, uh, your funny shoes. So now I'm like teasing her. I'm challenging her a little bit. You know, and now she she's going to engage with me because I've seen through her uh, fear and I'm calling her out on it. But she's just ready enough because and I'm feeling that instantly and spontaneously. What is the right action to do? Because I know her level of reluctance, her level of anxiety, her level of fear. I can read it without thought because I'm feeling it in myself. I know my own levels. So then it becomes very spontaneous, right? Now this relational attunement, which is like hyper calibration, um, becomes, you know, a tool. It became, becomes a connection uh, mechanism where the whole system is working for you. There's nothing working against you. The whole thing is you. It's all familiar. It's all familiar. And this is an aspect of non-duality, which is really what seduction is about if it's healthy. It's about letting her seduce you, you seducing yourself with your own longing and automatically seducing her. It's not about subject, object, manipulation. The whole thing becomes a dance of understanding because we understand the human fears transcends. It makes sense. I've, I've got a funny theory, okay? Tell me what you think. I'll have to tell a story with this one. But I, I think about 10, 12 years ago, there's an American Armenian man whose life is kind of not really going anywhere. He's kind of lost. He doesn't know what to do. You know, clean shaven guy, whatever. And he finds your videos. 10 years later, he calls himself Dan Bilzerian, copies your look, starts attracting women. <laughs> what do you think? Because everything I hear about that guy, when I watch interviews with him, it seems exactly the same as the sort of stuff you said, but I know for a fact you existed a long, long time before the world knew about Dan Bilzerian. And especially with the kind of look and everything, I feel like, I, honestly, I feel like that guy just found your videos like 10 years ago and just thought, you know what, I'm going to imitate what he's doing and never give him credit for it. Who, kn who knows? <clears throat> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? What we, what we do know is that this is, Dan Bilzerian is not a guy who is, <coughs> um, uh, something in the throat. First of all, I don't know whether that's a compliment or what, if you're uh, likening me to him or him to me, and whether on the whole, <laughs> the whole thing is positive. Um, and far, far be it from me to, to go too deep in that. But what, what we do know is that uh, from what I've seen of him, it seems to be that uh, 
he's he's certainly not in a specific a teaching mode uh he's in a living or being yeah. mode. and um my thing is uh because of necessity deconstructing the being mode because i wasn't despite what you know came across has come across forever my being mode has so many more levels to to attain and this is just my own demand i think from the time that i was like eight years old i had these uh strong feelings of universal consciousness meaning that i would walk outside and i'd look into the sky and i really felt that i was the universe right and and whatever that means right i've heard that a lot it meant a lot it was it was very clear that my sense of being of consciousness or awareness right my fundamental awareness and everything that pervaded that surrounded me was me (laughs) so feeling that and then not feeling that created a conflict why can i feel so connected to everything and then suddenly protective around everything which was the truth and now what can i do to to get closer to the feeling of connection and unity so you know for some people it's just they want to take a a dance class or a meditation class and feel a little better and or drink tequila and feel a little bit less self-conscious for me it's always been very profound it's like i don't want to settle until the ego is extremely quiet it's not the driving factor i don't want to settle until um, the experience of awareness is connected and unified whole i don't want to settle until there isn't just uh, reactivity every time i'm looked at or talked to or whatever so it's like i have had on steroids what every man has which is self-consciousness um uh, egoic reactivity just that for me it was like on steroids hyper awareness of myself um in space and time and uh so that means i think that i can help people who have it um either in more um intense ways or less intense ways you know most people don't ever look at it really because they just assume this is life or i'm not good enough or whatever but it can go much deeper and that's been my my path what about dan bilzerian i don't know you are right like he's having he is having fun you see when you do when he does an interview he seems like an actual level-headed guy but he's definitely used his for personal gain and i feel like to summarize you're obi-wan kenobi and he's like darth vader who's taken the same teachings and gone over to the dark side with it but um i've got some questions that some of my subscribers have submitted to me um there's four of them so i think should we do quick fire? Cause I know you've got something to do afterwards. Um, sure. but the first one is how many approaches did it take you to, sorry, it's written in kind of third person, but I'll try and break it down. How many approaches did it take him to make it seem second nature in women? 
I don't know. There's the, it's ah man, I just have to be true to what we've talked about. The question doesn't add up just because I was approaching out of compulsion, which meant I'll never really feel second nature. I'll never really feel good. So I have to keep approaching. So there's that aspect. Then the, the second thing is it was through addiction that I needed to, to, to continuously um, approach. So in that itself, you're never feeling good <laughs> enough. Uh, to, let, me, let me give something of what, what they want. How many does it take? There's got to be a perfect poetic way of answering this. The, the, the poetic way is zero. <laughs> so, long, so long as you think that you're going to resolve your need for second nature behavior through transaction, you will never get there. The, the only caveat to that is that guys really get into uh, social freedom exercises, you know, and that sort of lubricates your feeling of um, self-referentiality or self-centeredness to get out of your head a little bit, get out of your head, get out of your head. Just go and ask her what time it is now. Just go wave. You know, now we have all these things that I used to do. I used to teach that like things that break the uh, initial ice of your feeling of, of, of separation, which is the absence of second nature approaching. Mm. Um, but now what I teach is um, sometimes if a student needs that, I teach that, but usually it's working from a much deeper sense of faith in yourself. So start working on your sense of faith in yourself through embodiment practice, right? And through non-outcome consciousness, indeterminate mind, consciousness right so that's that's the zen component then you have the embodiment component start working with really feeling good in yourself and you'll start to answer that and you can do some social freedom exercises if you need to Mm -hmm. and the second one is what age did you start pick up which is actually why i asked you your age earlier oh i was doing pickup before i knew there was pickup (laughs) You know, I was like right in high school, like, uh, you know, 19, let's say 85. I was just, uh, or that, that was, I was in high school in 88. So, um, but by 85, 86, I was already like 11 years old. I was already trying to understand myself um, by, uh, by through validation from the other. I was already trying to understand myself through validation. That's an interesting definition of pickup, right? Oh, pickup is cool. Yeah, do you do pickup? Yeah, I do pickup. What is pickup? It's trying to understand yourself through validation. <laughs> <laughs> then you get into connection, right? The second stage is getting into connection, which is sharing and the joy of being involved with people. And then the third thing is just grace. It is just poetry, play, dancing and singing. Like that it. is relationship. The next one is what is, it's quite a 
long question really, but what is your philosophy? How can the audience implement that mindset to align with their own life in addition to finding one's purpose? That sounds like it was written by you. Very deep. Uh, <laughs> how can you find your own purpose? Well, your your purpose changes and you should just enjoy that. Like, oh, uh, coming from really feeling your heart, like, oh, I like music. So you play music. Okay. My purpose is to feed my family. Okay. So I wake up and I go to work and <laughs> I take responsibility for um, that that fundamental need. But your sense of meaning, right, which must underlay your sense of purpose, right? It must precede it is something that you need to experience directly. Your meaning is not contingent. It's not relational. It's not circumstantial. It's not dependent. And that requires a lot of the undoing that we talked about before, a lot of the undoing, the unlearning to to connect with your original sense of essence or innocence value. Yep. And the final question for one of the subscribers is, is it a numbers game? Uh, it, it is if you're really using connection to um, fine tune and understand yourself. Then, yeah, it's as many, every time you meet somebody, you're doing work on yourself, on your, what are my um, barriers what are my resistances? Every time you meet somebody, look, I'm married now and having a wife is every time we have a chat, it's a number. It's another number game, right? I'm, she's my best reflector of my authenticity. So use everyone as your authenticity, right? And uh, otherwise, it's a numbers game in terms of um, intermittent uh, success. The numbers game is just, you win some, you lose some. If that's really going to create happiness for you, well, it doesn't. It doesn't. So take my word from it. You can um, work and work and you can number, grind, 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 right? You'll have successes and failures. That never, ever adds up to a, a feeling of real mastery, of real abundance, uh, of real Uh, self-assurance that you can go and meet somebody unless every time you grind you're using that information so find ways to use information find ways to work with your resistances and to learn from your resistances in the deep deep ways in real real ways to become the most authentic person you can be for yourself to yourself and then higher low numbers will resolve itself it will resolve itself and you will know abundance Right, and whether you choose to have lots of partners or few partners, you will have uh, developed, grown truly as a self-sufficient man. Perfect. Um, that's going to be it from me. I think that's all the questions on my end and from all the subscribers. I know we said that we can we can make this an hour, make it quick, but I think we're approaching two and a half now. So, <laughs> apologies from me because I just had so many questions, and it was wasn't it about two hours, two and a half hours. It was around about that, wasn't now. it? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's great. It's close. It's but great. yeah, it was great. It was, I knew it was going to be good, but it ended up being so much more than I thought it even would be. And I think we went a lot deeper and 
peeled back a lot of layers. So I'm, I'm so happy that you came on and I really appreciate your time. And I, I honestly think the work that you're doing is the best in the world. I think I've, I, I, I encourage every single one of my subscribers to go and follow your channel and what you do. And if, if they've got the money, especially at a, different, a difficult time right now, I recommend to sign up to the retreats because I think it's so much more than just attracting women. I think it goes, it, it starts to border into who you are as a man, you know, and bridges into other areas of your life too. And I just think it's in, you, you can see like in sales, sales and attracting women, it's like those two are intertwined and inner confidence and women. Like I honestly think attracting women and being able to go up and talk to women translates into so many different areas of life because they're the same insecurities A million percent. It's all you. You know, there, there, Jean-Paul Sartre, he said, hell is the other. L'enfer, c'est les autres. <laughs> right? Hell is the other. But it's not true. Hell is the I. Hell is what's in the way of your expression, of your full experience, of not having anything in between you and the things that you want to share with and the people you want to speak to, right? And whether that's authority in the workplace and your reactivity in the workplace or your reactivity meeting a new a lover or your reactivity at home around family, parents, siblings, it's all working through our own shit. As one teacher said, we want to fuck up, clean up, grow up and wake up. <laughs> I think that's a good note to end on. I think we should end it there. So thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Well, one thing I want to say this, yeah, you sure. talked about the money. I'm going to be having a product that will be accessible, that will cover a lot, a lot of stuff that guys can have for much less um, money than a, than, a, than a workshop, which is limited to only the amount of guys that, you know, I can coach at a time. So if they, they go to travelbumcoaching.com and subscribe there, uh, they'll begin to, uh, to, to, to get emails and learn about what's being offered. And of course, the, the Travel Bum channel, Travel Bum Productions on YouTube um, has both coaching and approach videos. And we're going to have uh, it's not another approach, but rather travel bomb videos. So there are going to be lots of new travel bomb videos coming out. Ones that have both been not seen and ones that have been uh, removed for a while. And I think yes. uh, you and I will we'll be talking about working a little bit on that you. together. Yeah. I was going to ask you about them. Well, the first videos I've ever got shown, you were in, I think you were in Latvia and there was a few other places and I've gone to watch them since. And I was like, they're not there. And then when you mentioned you had a wife, I was like, oh, maybe that's why. Maybe you've taken them down out of respect or maybe maybe you were a different man back then. <laughs> I don't know. It's all, it's all those things. But my trust and confidence in my wife, if there's something beneficial to the old videos, that'll be fine. Uh, you know, as you know, I certainly want to go beyond the objectification of pickup artisting. Uh, so that's very real. Um, and, um, but we need a platform, you know, YouTube is just a pain in the ass. <laughs> YouTube is a pain in the ass. And, and you, know, you and I will talk more about, about that, but there'll be, um, the videos will go back up uh, there. There might be some, um, 
some censored bits and, you know, reducing the nudity and this kind of stuff. So yeah, we'll find ways to make it work for everyone, both the people who are uh, appear in the videos and the, the world that uh, of, uh, of, uh, of censorship in YouTube, you know? Yeah, they've even done it with the thumbnails now. If I have a picture of a woman on the thumbnail, if she's not fully clothed, they remove it after like 24 hours. I've had that twice already. So it's a yeah, shame, but I'll get you on my streaming platform anyway. You can have yeah. free roam. You can do whatever you want. Chris, really a pleasure. It's a lot of information, but uh encourage guys, if they're really searchers to to dig in and watch it over and again and uh, pursue a path that's, that's right for them and, and that's work for them and that's healing. No, I, I completely right agree. Within the first 10 minutes, I was thinking I'm going to have to rewatch this video two or three times to get the real benefit out of this. And I, I encourage all my subscribers to do the same. I think it's, it's true. Next time we can, we can talk more pop culture and then maybe it'll be less, uh, that's deep. Yeah, I'll get you on a second time. That'll be great. But thank you so much for your time this time. And um, I'll speak to you soon, buddy. Be well. See you.